Hey strangers, welcome to our first ever side sessions episode of the strange sessions and I'm notorious for finding some fact that I all of a sudden get super interested in so then I research and then the rabbit hole begins. and then the rabbit hole <laughs> I'm we probably here. don't need to introduce ourselves no you got because this, the, yeah if you got this you've you're paid. subscribing <laughs> you're subscribed yeah. so you know who we are if you don't know who we are then that's weird <laughs> I'm Kurt that's I don't remember Agatha Kathy Agatha <laughs> Karen. <laughs> Karen. <laughs> so uh, this just came up because, you know, we have our tiered system now with the coffee Hopefully. thing. And, you know, in theory, I mean, we, gra- have in theory we have that now. And granted, you can listen to the unedited version. You can see like the video of whatever we're going to take video of. Mm-hmm. But we, I really like the idea of you guys getting a little bonus content that not everybody gets. Uh, so we decided to do this where it's just some random topic that I think is interesting at the time that I research and then I just write it down and it's kind of like a mini episode about whatever is going through my mind at the time. Uh, there's a very good chance that, I mean, you're going to be, this I think is going to be a sample episode for list. I think we're going to just put this out there so people know what a side session episode will be like. But these are going to vary in length. Some might be shorter. Some might be longer. We're not going to do the usual stuff. We're not going to do the taste test. We're not going to do the... Stupid pickle jokes. Stupid pickle jokes. We're not going to do listener questions. We're going to save that stuff for like the actual episodes. These yeah. are just like little bonus episodes. No song recommendations. Like if you guys want to hear us during an off time, this is like a little bonus episode. So chances are that some of these side sessions episodes are going to be pulled out. Like if Krista and I have a weather emergency and we can't get together and we're not, and we're not able to like Skype. And it's like some episodes I I don't mind doing over Skype, but some I would rather be in person. person. Mm -hmm. So this might just be something that will pull them out of the vault and we'll just release it instead of a regular episode. So this is just going to be a side session episode about whatever. Sweet. And Krista, I'm going to try to keep these from the topics from Krista so she has no idea what we're going to be talking about. And I feel like these are going to be a little conversational okay. too. Like we're just going to digress and talk about whatever we want to talk about. Do you think we need new music for the side session? I've sessions? thought about that. I thought about that, but I also don't know. Because people like because maybe Jamie music. could come up with something similar, but a little similar, bit but like different. jauntier yeah. and not as spooky. Yeah, yeah, Jamie, if you're listening, that would be cool. Yeah, um, would be mad at you. So the to- <laughs> the topic for this one is Drum any roll? guesses? Drum any roll? guesses? Oh God, boom! I, I gave boom. her. I told her to label it on the flash drive as boom. It's about the history of fireworks or something. No. Okay. It is about the 1945 Empire State Building plane crash. Wow, yeah. Nope, I would not have guessed that. No, and <laughs> I never knew this happened. Hmm. And there's kind of a convoluted story how I even found out about this. But what the heck? It's a side sessions episode, so I'm going to talk about it. Sweet. So as you know, I'm into armchair treasure hunts. Mm-hmm. Like I am obsessed with armchair treasure hunts. 
But the weird thing is that I'm not so much obsessed with working on them. I'm obsessed with like them as a whole, like the idea of them yeah, as a and phenomena. the history of them. Yeah. yeah. As like a phenomena because I suck at codes and mm. so many of these involve codes. So when you play video games where you have to get to a puzzle, do you find yourself YouTubing it? Yeah. A lot of times. <laughs> I yeah. Do that but I, some of them I'm really good at. Some puzzles I'm really good some at. Some I can do too. Some I'm not, but codes, like codes frustrate me yeah. trying to crack codes mm-hmm. frustrates me. I'm into armature treasure hunts and you know this because you got we got the email where all of a sudden one day Krista and I got an email to the Strange Sessions one because I think she was looking for to how to contact me and it was from a girl that runs a YouTube a YouTube channel called Karen Puzzles and she does all sorts of stuff with jigsaw puzzles and it, it turns out like in 1985 or 86 there was an armchair treasure hunt released called The Money Hunt And I got it when I was like 14, 15, around that time. And basically it came in a box. It had a book in it of like illustrations and stuff. And it had a fold-out map of the United States. And it came with a jigsaw puzzle. And this Karen that runs this jigsaw puzzle YouTube got in touch with me because I wrote an article about this armchair treasure hunt for mysterioushwritings.com. I've I've written a couple different articles for that site because I love armchair treasure hunts. And she contacted me because she got her hands on this treasure hunt because it has a jigsaw puzzle in it. And she wanted to know if I had any inklings about the solution. Mm. And I don't. There's like nobody, this this sold very, very few copies and barely anybody, even people that are into armchair treasure hunts, hardly anybody knows this even exists. I was literally like looking through the book last night when I was laying in bed, getting ready to go to bed. And I, we can't, nobody can make heads or tails of where this, you were supposed to figure out where this treasure was hidden. That was the goal of this contest. But there was clues. a puzzle you had to put together? There was a jigsaw puzzle to put okay. together. And Were the it clues w- in the puzzle? I don't know. It was an easy jigsaw. I mean, I put oh, okay. it together <laughs> and I just, I bought it off eBay a couple of years back. So I got another one now. So I, just, I put it together and it has a poem on it that... Is that the clue? Supposedly, okay. nobody knows. Mm. Nobody knows. Uh, it's a little too cryptic. <laughs> it's a little too cryptic. I can tell you the clue here, the, the poem here in one second. So I might've jumped the gun. Basically... Armchair treasure hunts are books or something. There were a couple computer games or something where you solve a puzzle and figure out where a treasure is. And mm-hmm. sometimes you can mail in the solution or sometimes you have to go physically to it and find it. We're going to have an episode on that coming up and there might be something special tied in with that episode. Uh, the most famous one is called? Masquerade. Oh, no. I was The most famous You're thinking like, of treasure Fen? hunt? You're... No, like the treasure hunt. It's called The Secret? Yes, The Secret is like mm-hmm. one of the ones that now that is super well known. There's one in uh, Milwaukee. Yes, a treasure at Lake Park. Milwaukee. Even yep. though some people think it's not at Lake Park, but they're mm-hmm. wrong because it's at Lake We're going to talk about that <laughs> when we do our episode about armchair treasure hunts. Cool. But basically you solve them. Uh, Beth, who painted our awesome uh, Toy and Be Tile shirt, and she has created a bunch of armchair treasure hunts. So she is like huge with armchair treasure hunts. And she, I think think has this one i don't remember but not a lot of people have this one and very very little is known about it but the poem that's on the jigsaw puzzle is quote a sad story was told of one not very old climb way up high not quite to the sky 
with lives made to pay, find the place one did play. That sounds like a no clue. idea. No idea. Even with the the book, the book it has a crossword puzzle inside of it, and I've solved because back in like eighty five or eighty six, doing that crossword puzzle was tough. With the internet, it takes you maybe ten minutes, mm, mm, and sure. I I have nothing. So this Karen girl emailed me to see if I had any further stuff because she wanted to talk about it on her YouTube channel, mm. and I said no. And then she told me that she, the guy that designed the the puzzle, the game, died years ago, but she was in contact with his son. And his son told her all he remembers is that the solution had something to do with the 1945 plane crash into the Empire State Building. And when she told me that, I had no idea this ever happened. Well, that matches up to the poem. It does a little bit with climbing climbing way up high. Lives are lost. Yes. So, (laughs) but there's nothing in the book that I can find that has anything to do with the Empire State Building or anything Mm. with this. So that's how I started researching this was I was trying to find something that tied in with that armchair treasure hunt. And I just thought this was interesting because I knew nothing about this. I've never even heard about it. No, and I didn't either up until she told me about it. So that's kind of why I wanted to do this. So it's kind of a roundabout way of going about how I find something that interests me. Hmm. And I felt bad because that Karen, I don't think she ever did an episode about this money game because we don't know much about it. Mm -hmm. You know, and you were supposed to win a million dollars. It was going to be... $50,000 $50,000 a year for 20 years, which would have been Could nice. Could you imagine that? But, you know, it's one of these, like, we'll get more into this when we do armchair treasure hunts, but they're hard to... The first one that was ever done, Kit Williams' Masquerade, was done really, really well. Since then, a lot of them aren't. Mm. A lot of them, it's hard when you design a puzzle like that to know if you're making it too hard or too easy because you know the you answer already. You know the already. answer, right. So this one, only a handful of people know about. Nobody's ever made any headway with it that we know of. Okay. So, and that's how I got into researching this, which I just think is interesting. So, main story, only story, actually, that we're doing is because <laughs> we're not doing anything else. In 1945, the war was starting to come to an end. On the foggy day of July 28, 1945, a B-25 bomber named Old John Feather Merchant, which is a weird name for a plane, and flown by Captain William Smith, was flying from Massachusetts to New York's Newark Metropolitan Airport. Smith had flown in 34 dangerous combat missions overseas in World War II, was a decorated and accomplished pilot, and was described by his men as being, quote, jaunty and devil-may-care. All right. I don't think I've ever been described as jaunty, jaunty or devil-may-care. I'm not very devil-may-care. No, you're not. I stress about stuff. I don't think devil-may-care people stress about stuff. But he was like, he knew his business. He knew what he was doing. You know, he he's flown. had all the confidence in the world. Yes, kind of yeah. a little too much, as we will find out. Mm. Yeah, I'm guessing I know how where <laughs> well, he this ended ends up. up. <laughs> yeah, he was flying into New York to pick up his commanding officer. As Smith flew into New York, the weather had started getting worse. I always want to say the weather started getting rough, and the tiny ship was tossed, but that wouldn't be appropriate. The weather had started getting worse, and the fog had intensified. Here's where there's a lot of discrepancies in the reports of what happened next, and I kind of hate this because I feel like this is important. According to Wikipedia, Smith asked for clearance to land, but he was advised of zero visibility and decided to proceed anyway. According to an article in NPR, 
He called LaGuardia Airport and requested clearance to land at LaGuardia instead of Newark because of the weather. With nearly zero visibility, the tower suggested that Smith not land. Smith said, thank you very much, and ignored it. (laughs) According to an article in The Spokesman, Smith found the New York metro area covered with heavy fog, so he flew toward LaGuardia Airport in Queens and requested a landing clearance. He was told that he could proceed to Newark as long as he had three miles of visibility, so he did. Can, did you say what kind of plane he was in? Or are a you going to get to B, that? It was a bomber. A, so it's a small a fighter B-25, plane. A B-25, yeah, a okay. small fighter plane. So really, you're thinking, how much gas does he have? Exactly. Okay, or fuel, I don't know yeah. what you say. But according to the article in The Spokesman, he flew towards LaGuardia, and they said it was okay for him to proceed to Newark as long as he had three miles of visibility, so he did, but whatever visibility Smith had didn't last long. And according to the website, pattymcguirearmstrong.com, just before 9.40 a.m., traveling about 200 miles an hour, Smith became lost in heavy fog. Mm-hmm. He was instructed by LaGuardia to land in Newark instead. So there's some of the articles make it sound like he was told not to go. And he's like, I'm going anyway. I know right. what I'm doing. Yeah. But some articles make it sound like they told him it was okay to go. Yeah. And that's where I feel like this sucks is that... Because this, this is a big thing. A big, this is a yeah. big thing. Like either he, it's his own reckless. fault and he was yeah. reckless or they told him, nah, you should be okay. Right. And he wasn't. Spoiler. <laughs> he I'm was not. He, he was not okay. Yeah. And we know, we know how this ends. Yeah. Like, I'm so, guessing he had to land at some point though. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot gonna of. You're going to land uh, yeah. whether you want to or not if you run yeah, out of but fuel. It could go to, he could land at LaGuardia or he could go on to Newark, which is where he wanted to land. So there's a lot of discrepancy in this whole Mm. thing. Like some people attribute stuff said on the radio to him and some people attribute it to the the control tower. Mm. Okay. So, but newspapers back then weren't real accurate, I guess. Okay. Whatever article you're reading, Smith was either advised to just fly into Newark for a landing or he was advised not to come in for a landing because of the weather, but decided to do it anyway. Well, and the funny part is we're assuming you we can only get one person's account of what happened here. Oh, yeah. So how do they get conflicting information exactly. from that one exactly. side? But I feel like some people wanted to make it his fault. Sure. Well, like yeah, he was cocky. You know, it, it we wasn't. We told him not it, to yeah, land. Yeah, we told him not to land. So it's just it was frustrating that I could not get like a solid reading mm. on what exactly happened there. But either way, uh, so whatever happened, it said that the last words radioed by the tower to Smith was, "Quote: From where I'm sitting, I can't even see the top of the Empire State Building." <laughs> yeah, you're about to. Yeah. According to a 2005 article on DamnInteresting.com, I love DamnInteresting.com. There's a lot of good stuff on there. Yeah, you've definitely yes. listed them as a yes. source. Yes, according before. to a 2005 article on DamnInteresting.com called In Heavy Fog, the article says, quote, The pilot quickly became disoriented because he was unable to see the ground below and he lost his way. Despite Manhattan regulations that forbid aircraft from flying below 2,000 feet, Smith made the decision to drop below 1,000 feet in an attempt to untangle his bomber from the densest part of the fog. When his plane emerged from the thick, his visibility indeed improved. All around his aircraft, silhouettes of skyscrapers towered above Smith and his crew, and the New York Central Building and Chrysler Buildings were directly ahead of him. Wait, his crew? He had, so there were two people on the plane with him. Okay. Uh, one of them was like the co-pilot and another one was a friend of his that wanted to like hitchhike a, to 
the this other... plane must be bigger than I'm picturing, then. I'm picturing like a medium-sized plane, not like a little prop plane, right. but I'm picturing like a medium-sized plane. But it was him, plane. his like co-pilot, and another guy that was like, hey, if you're going there, I could use a ride. Like it's big enough that there's an actual cockpit, probably. Yes. Not yes. like person in front, person no, in back. No, it's big enough that okay. there's an actual cockpit, like bombers. I feel like I need to see a picture of this plane. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do, too, actually. Let's look up B-25 bomber. B-25 bomber. I was like picturing him being alone in this thing. Well, it's still That's a small, still small. It's still a small plane, but it was him and two other people in it. Okay. So they were probably all crammed in that cockpit. Well, you can see there's room for that's a cockpit. Yeah. There's st- obviously room for cargo and stuff. Yeah. Back so here. I'm guessing the two up front and then the Dude guy in the, in the back. back that hitchhiked. They picked a bad, bad time to hitchhike on that plane. Kidding. Okay. So yeah, he came. He came down low, and then when he was down low, he saw all the silhouettes of skyscrapers around him. Which had an oh crap moment. Probably had an oh crap moment, and then directly saw in, directly in front of them, they saw the New York Central Building and the Chrysler Buildings. Smith reacted quickly and banked hard, pushing the bomber to its stress limits to try to avoid the collision. His plane just missed the New York Central Building, flying past its west side with little room to spare. Dozens of skyscrapers lay beyond the first one, leaving a forest of fog-shrouded towers in the plane's path. It's said that people in offices and apartment buildings were amazed as this plane roared by their window at eye level. Some people said that they, like were, they, had, like, they were like almost face-to-face, yeah. that they could see him oh my gosh. in there. That's crazy. Uh, Smith tried to gain altitude as he weaved between the ghostly shadows of buildings, forcing the bomber to maneuver at its operational extremes. When the Empire State Building emerged from the fog right ahead of his craft, Smith banked his plane and pulled back as hard as he was able to, but the bomber lacked the maneuverability to dodge the large tower looming over it. At 9.49 a.m. in the middle of a desperate climbing turn, the 10-ton B-25 slammed into the 79th floor of the Empire State Building. Wow. Yeah. And, like, I didn't know anything about this. Inside, in the War Relief Services office of the National Catholic Welfare Conference, business had already started for the day. When the plane hit the building, the offices were immediately engulfed in flames spread by airplane fuel. According to the article on DamnInteresting.com, quote, The burning gasoline traveled through hallways, stairwells, and elevator shafts, reaching as far as four floors below the point of impact as the building shook. A publicist working in the office was propelled out of the window from the explosion and 10 others were caught in the inferno. The impact ripped an 18 by 20 foot hole in the outer wall. Debris and flames rained down upon the surrounding area, damaging nearby structures and starting them on fire. One of the bomber's engines completely shot through the Empire State Building and fell 900 feet from the opposite side of the building, landing on the roof of a penthouse art studio owned by sculptor Henry Herring, causing a fire that ended up destroying the studio. The other engine flew into an elevator shaft. Stan Lomax, a sports announcer for radio station WOR, saw the crash when his automobile had stopped at a traffic light. He said, quote, the plane flew straight down Fifth Avenue and into the building, striking four or five stories below the observation tower. There was the damnedest ball of fire you've ever saw. It was a tremendous big burst of flame. A wing of the plane shot off to the left towards Madison Avenue. The remainder of the plane stuck right in the building. For almost two floors, the entire width of the building burst into flame. It was an inferno. Hmm. Catherine O'Connor, a woman who was working in the offices at the time of the crash, later recounted her experience, saying, quote, the plane exploded within the building. There were five or six seconds. I was tottering on my feet trying to keep my balance, and three-quarters of the office was instantaneously consumed in this sheet of flame. 
One man was standing inside the flame. I could see him. It was my coworker, Joe Fountain. His whole body was on fire. Oh. I kept calling to him, come on, Joe, come on, Joe. And he walked out of it and survived, but he ended up dying 14 days later in the hospital from his injuries. That's just like nightmare. Yeah. Like nightmarish. One of the workers named Paul Deering either panicked and jumped from a window or was seated at his desk when the plane crashed into a wall in his office and he was blown out through a nearby window, falling seven stories to a ledge on the 72nd floor. He was charged so badly that they could only identify him by the stuff in his wallet. I mean, it was a mess. Like, I cannot. And this, of course, brings up 9 11. That's all I can think about. I know. Right now. And, and that's one of the, that's like such a nightmarish scenario oh, I to can't. me to. You're sitting there at I work. Can't even fathom no, it. you're sitting there at work, and all of a sudden a plane hits your floor, and all of a sudden there's fireballs in your office. People burning alive and jumping out yes. windows to avoid being burned yeah. alive. I it, mean, it's, it's horrifying. Just, it's just crazy to me. It's hard to wrap your head around the horror of it. Yeah, it, it really is, and I don't, I cannot imagine it. Should we it, mark this explicit? No, <laughs> I don't know that people want their kids listening to these descriptions, though. I don't think we have to. I, I, I think we'll in the description though. I'll say okay. Graphic descriptions. Some graphic descriptions. Yeah, yeah. we don't want. It's I wouldn't want a strangeling listening to this. No, but it it like like nine eleven bothers me. Like well, the images of people jumping reasons. from the building that bothers is me. One of the hardest things to like look when at. you like. I I want to say that I would not do that. I would take my. I mean, that's a certain death. I would take yeah. my chances in the building. You know, and maybe ride it down if it collapses. You're still going to die. But I feel like you have a fraction of a percentage chance better if you're in the building as opposed to jumping out of the building because you're not. I think those people knew they were going to burn alive, though. Yeah. How would you rather die? Like that? I I know. But that's (laughs) such that's one of the haunting images of that. There's that one photo because they never identified him. They did. They ended up identifying him. The falling man. Who Really? I believe so. I watched a documentary on it and they've never identified him. I thought they did. Hmm, that's interesting. Might be one for another episode. Yeah. Maybe we'll do the falling Ugh. man. But that's just like I just like nine eleven. Nine eleven messed me up. Like, me too. Bad. Yeah, and, it messed you know, everybody. Up, maybe, maybe we'll do a bonus episode about nine because I I feel like that's such a touchy topic. It is, know? especially since there's conspiracy theories surrounding it. Yeah, big time. Yeah, there is. So we'll have to we'll have to tackle that at some point. Mm-hmm. But that's totally what this brings up. Oh yeah, is is that. Teresa Willig, who was 20 years old at the time, worked for the Catholic Relief Services on the 79th floor. Willig recalled what she was thinking as the fire burned on the floor. She said, quote, It was a very small universe at that point. You're stuck there on an island with fire all around you. A couple of the women had passed out from the smoke, and I had a handkerchief in my pocket, so I used that to cover my nose and my mouth to protect myself from the fumes. And somebody had opened the window, and I'm sitting there. I thought about my rings. And I thought, I won't be around to have them. Someone else might as well get some use out of them. So I took my rings off my fingers and threw them out the window. Hmm. That's like such a sad thought. Yeah. You know, you're like, I'm Who has dead. the force? I'm dead. Somebody else can maybe use these rings. That. So she takes her rings off and throws right. them out the window. Daniel Norden, who worked in the 80th floor office, said he, another man, and a quote, hysterical girl, were trapped by flames at the door and windows. He said they escaped by knocking a hole through the wall with a carpenter's hammer. Hmm. And that's just, but I, a hysterical girl, you think, I, I, I don't know. That just rubs me wrong for some reason. Yeah. What, you know, like she had the vapors and was fainting. Right. You know, 
but I'm sure there were many hysterical men. I'm sure there were many hysterical men too. (laughs) Running around in circles, not knowing what to (laughs) do. Willig said that a man on the street below saw the office workers trapped in there and signaled to them to stay where they were. She says, quote, I guess they were trying to give us some solace to say, don't worry. And that was a connection we had with the rest of the world. We all felt a little better to know that someone knew that we were there. Hmm. You know, and I can't imagine what that is like. I just can't. Like, like that, like to be on this floor, knowing that you can't maybe get to the floor below you, you're trapped. Mm -hmm. And it's just like nightmare fuel for me like that oh, is just yeah. something that but like i don't yeah. like skyscrapers i don't no. ever since 9 11 no so quick side story i worked downtown milwaukee in it's not I, we wouldn't call buildings in milwaukee skyscrapers but they they're kind tall of buildings. are i mean they're kind of skyscrapers yeah. and the, i the worked, white one i always think of the white building yeah yeah i worked in it's called the chase building i don't know if it's called that anymore like if you're driving it's you can see it from like the marquette interchange but it's a blue building that has the temperature on it. It's like the one building that has a digital readout of the temperature on it, if you've ever noticed that building. But I was working there. I worked on the 10th floor, and we're all sitting there one day, and all of a sudden, we're all like, do you smell smoke? I, and this was post 9-11. We were, we were in that <laughs> yeah. stairway on the ground floor. The floor above us was on fire. And there were people on the floor above that that were trapped. And all of us were just like, I mean, this would have been maybe 2000 three or four or something like that. So 9-11 was, was fresh pretty in fresh all in of our minds. Heads. I mean, it ended up being fine. Nobody was hurt or killed. I mean, it was a minor fire, I think, but we all had like major, like get out now, leave everything behind and just, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do in a fire anyway. But I mean, but it's different nobody you know. waited. We were like, we're out, we're, yeah. we're done, we're out of here. And it was definitely a bit of a harrowing experience, I can say. Yeah, like I used to, when I was younger, I used to like going in the Sears Tower when I'd go down to with my dad and mm. Corey and all that. And I, the thought of being in a Ugh. skyscraper now. Now they have that then, slide. Isn't yeah. that the Sears Tower where I think so. You can get in this like but glass. They also slide? like it's been in the Ooh. news lately that they have these pencil pencil skyscrapers. Did you ever see those? Like Are they're... they like in India or cuz now the tallest building is not in the states anymore. It's Pencils, over in... No, they're new, they have these in New York now. Pencils? It's a, there's an article in the Guardian that says super tall, super skinny, super expensive. The oh, pencil see, towers, like that. the pencil towers of New York, super rich. I feel like it would fall over. Oh, and yeah. people that live there legitimately freak out because that thing sways I can when imagine. it's it sways four feet. No, no. And people have said that they're in there and they can feel the thing no. swaying. And and the people that designed them said. They're they're good because they're sure. they're so deep in the ground that sure, they're not. Sure, sure. But people that people live there and then they move, they're like no, because you can feel the building swing when you're. I'm and, sure people thought the twin towers were good too. Oh, I'm sure they did too. They were. I'm reduced sure they to did rubble. too. So yeah, um, Willie goes on to say, all of a sudden here were firemen and they're coming to rescue us, all dressed in their raincoats or whatever they wear. It was just wonderful. We climbed out through the broken glass. I was just grateful to be alive. All in all, 14 people were killed. The plane's crew, consisting of Colonel Smith, Staff Sergeant Christopher Dimitrovich, and Navy Aviation Machinist's mate, Albert Perna, who was hitching a ride, and 11 civilians inside the building. Perna's body was not found until two days later when search crews discovered that it had been blown into an elevator shaft and fallen to the bottom. 
a lot of the bodies were burned beyond recognition. 25 other people in the building were also seriously injured. Luckily, it was a Saturday, so there were only a few sightseers on the observation deck that morning. Most of the rest of the building was off for the weekend. Could you imagine that moment in the plane? No. You know you're going to no. crash, and you know you're no. probably going to take people out with no. you. No, I, I can't. I cannot. You know, and that Ugh. brings back 9-11 stuff. Like, right. I cannot imagine being on that plane. No. Seeing that you're going... You're heading towards yes. a building. Yeah. Ugh. Following the disaster, a three-man investigation board was set up to study the cause and the results. Mayor LaGuardia unhesitatingly placed the blame upon the pilot, Lieutenant Colonel William Smith, saying, quote, if the pilot had been up where he belonged, there would have been no trouble. And I saw some reports that said that the Army accepted full responsibility for the disaster and paid mm. out the insurance and stuff like that. You know, you said that before that he was trying to get under the fog. Wouldn't you try to get above the fog? You would think. I mean, when you're in a... People say that they they think that he saw a river and thought it was a different river. And oh. they thought that he was far enough that he would be able to dip below the fog without being near skyscrapers. And mm. turns out he wasn't. But I can't imagine getting below the fog and all of a sudden you see you're like downtown <laughs> with skyscrapers like all around you. Because you hear about like airliners where there's a storm and they'll increase their altitude to get yes. above the storm. Yes. So you, yeah. it just seems logical. No, let's not go down. But I think he thought he wasn't where he was, right. that he thought he would be okay. And then he couldn't bank. He was like he near the not, Hudson River or something? He couldn't bank up enough to yeah. get away from hitting the tower, the, the, the Empire State Building. Wow. You know, but eventually, like I said, the army accepted full responsibility, kind of placing the blame on on Smith too. Mm-hmm. But it well, just he sounds like he made some poor decisions. He did, and it sounds like he thought he knew enough that he would be mm-hmm. okay. But it still sucks, like not knowing yeah. if it like the blame was squarely on him or it was squarely wasn't. But that brings us to one of the stories that I love about this, and that is the story of Betty Lou Oliver. And th- this is like one of those things where like when I researched this, I would have never known about this, but but this is actually kind of like a famous story and I just really like this. So Betty Lou. Betty Lou Oliver was a 20-year-old woman who worked as an elevator girl or an elevator operator on the 80th floor of the Empire State Building. From the Red River Parish Journal website, it says, quote, prior to their push button automation in the 1970s, elevators were manually controlled. Elevator operators controlled the elevator's speed and direction by moving a large lever inside the elevator. Elevator operators were expected to consistently stop their elevator in perfect alignment with each floor. Like, I knew there were elevator boys and elevator people, but I never really knew that they... They had such control. They controlled the elevator. Like, they controlled where you stopped and started, you know, yeah. and if they didn't con- just stop... That's it, a lot of responsibility. If they didn't just stop it in the right place, you were going to have to, like, step up onto the floor <laughs> or step freaky. down onto the floor. <laughs> so we take it for granted That's that people now... people hands. Yeah. Like, we take it for granted that, or yeah, you could be halfway out and they could accidentally hit the lever and start Ooh, moving uh. again. But we take it for granted now that we hit a button and it stops where we're There's supposed to stop. There's not some person not some person controlling it inside the elevator but she was an elevator girl betty had gotten married so that day july 28th was supposed to be her last day at the job she was working in the elevator on the 80th floor when the plane hit the building and the resulting explosion caused her to get blown from the elevator out onto the floor with several injuries and burns Nearby office workers saw what happened to Betty Lou and they knew that she needed to get to the hospital as fast as possible. 
so they put her in the elevator and hit the down button to send the elevator down to the lowest floor, not realizing that the elevator cables had been weakened in the explosion. As the elevator started moving, the cable snapped, sending Betty Lou's elevator plunging down 75 floors or over 1,000 feet. So wait, did they just put her in there by herself? Yes, they put her in there, hit the button, got out of the (laughs) elevator. You're on your own. (laughs) Their floor wasn't like directly on fire mm-hmm. so i think they were trying to help people that were around there that mm. needed help so they stuck her in there hit the down button got out of the elevator and then she started going down Crazy. and the cable snapped 75 floors or over a thousand feet that would kill you at the bottom of the shaft the hydraulic plunger in the sub basement that was supposed to act as a shock absorber instead pierced through the bottom of the elevator car like a spear oh my god betty lou however had been standing to the side of the elevator car so the plunger piercing up through the floor didn't hit her. The elevator cables that had fallen had coiled up on the floor beneath the elevator car, so between the coiled cable pile and the fact that the elevator had slowed down due to the pressure of the rapid compression of air in the elevator shaft, Betty Lou survived the fall, breaking her pelvis, neck, and back. I can't, That's insane. Like, I can't imagine being in there. And like, then she's this, already And injured. then this thing comes shooting up. It's like Final Destination. It's like oh seriously God. like a scene from Final Destination. She's not killed when she's blown out of the elevator on the 80th floor. She's not killed when the elevator falls. And she's it was not, not killed Betty's when a thing shoots up through the floor. Betty's, the I universe mean, has she plans she, for Betty. She broke her back, pelvis, and neck. So she didn't get away scot-free. Sure. But after an extensive hospital stay and several operations... Betty Lou Oliver recuperated, and five months later, she returned to the building and rode in the repaired elevator once wow. again. Now, that's a big pair of lady balls. Yeah. To, 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 I wouldn't set foot in another no. elevator. No, and she went back and rode that elevator. In that building. In that wow. building. Props to Betty Lou. Yeah, I just, I just cannot imagine that. No. Uh, she moved to Fort Smith, Arkansas with her husband, Oscar. The couple had three children and seven grandchildren. She died November 24th, 1999, and is buried alongside her husband, who died in 1986 at the Fort Smith National Cemetery. Hmm. To this day, she holds the Guinness World Record for longest survived free fall in an elevator. <laughs> like, God. that is like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to challenge wanna that record. I don't no. think anybody's, but it just amazes me that she fell over a thousand feet, 70 something floors in an That's elevator. That's certain death for That most is people. certain death. And they said that if anything would have a been a little... storm. Yeah, if anything would have been a little different, you she know, like what if she would have been laying on the floor when that thing shot up through right. the, the bottom that of the elevator? That would have killed her. Like a spear. She would have been impaled. So it's... Oh. And part of me thinks that something to do with that treasure hunt is the story about Betty Lou Oliver that mm. survived this, this fall. Okay. But God, you're breaking your pelvis, neck, and back. And she was she was okay. She lived to, and wasn't paralyzed. And wasn't that. paralyzed. Yeah, she lived until 1999, wow. which just amazes me. That is crazy. You know, so that's a story of Betty Lou Oliver. Like I love that story. Yeah, like that she lived because something I positive came out yes, of this. Yeah. Eight months after the crash, the U.S. government offered money to families of the victims. Some accepted, but others initiated a lawsuit that resulted in landmark legislation. The Federal Tort Claims Act of 1946, for the first time ever, gave American citizens the right to sue the federal government. There is still a missing stone in the facade of the Empire State Building where the plane crash occurred. Uh, there's a famous picture of the, the, hole in the, side, the, cra- the hole in the side of the building, and photographer Ernie Sisto captured this incredible image from the 90th floor, 
when he had two other newsmen dangle him out a window by his legs so he could get the shot past the ledge. That's dedication. <laughs> that is de- and that's oh trust. That goodness. is trust and that is dedication. Wow. None of New York's skyscrapers had ever been hit by an airplane before that. I'm surprised that more hadn't, to be honest with you. I'm surprised that that was the first one. Because mm-hmm. I could imagine this happening, like some kind of accident like this happening. Yeah. But then researching this, the chief inspector of buildings for the Manhattan Bureau, Alfred Ludwig, said in 1912, quote, The Titanic was unsinkable, yet she went down. Our skyscrapers are unburnable, yet we shall have a skyscraper disaster which will stagger humanity. Mm. Had a couple. Yeah, we had a big one. So I just thought that was a really hmm. forward-thinking statement from yeah. him. Mm-hmm. So there you go. The plane wow. crash at the Empire, which I did not know ever happened. No. Like even That's when so 9-11 happened, I don't remember anybody I don't reference, you know, referencing this airplane crash into the Empire State Building. There's a soul coughing song called Is Chicago Is Not Chicago. Maybe it's, well, those are the lyrics anyway. And it's it, it's pre-9-11. But it, the lyrics are a man drives a plane into the Chrysler building. Yeah. So when you mentioned that, I was yeah. like, huh. Yep. I wonder if they drew inspiration, but although he didn't hit the Chrysler building, but he avoided so, the Chrysler building. There you go. The story. Mm. And uh, Betty Lou Oliver, I love that story. I yeah. Love when something like that happens. I like that there was a side story yeah. within the story. But hmm. God, I could not imagine. No, the horror like, of it. Is elevators just... freak me out. Like I, yep. I ride up and down in the elevators at school with the students. Like they mm-hmm. love... And I, like elevators, there was one day they were working on it and they had the door open and the, the elevator was down and I was looking in there and I'm like, Ugh. like I I have, that is one of the recurring things in my dreams is, really? yeah, I think I've talked about this on here that I always dream about college life. Like, no, like college campuses, oh, like, sure. college, like I'm always on a college, there's always a bookstore or a library mm-hmm. and there's always always a, an elevator I go up and the elevator is starts swaying as I get near the top that is Ugh. always in my dreams and it just weirds me out like elevators bother me, me I, I take them me too but there's always that fear in the back of your mind like am I gonna get stuck in here like yeah like I'm not really worried that the school one it's like three floors like I'm, I'm not super worried about getting stuck in there but like a skyscraper elevator like I don't want to go in skyscrapers anymore mm-hmm. I just don't any building with more than like there aren't floors. too many of those where we live. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> but any okay. building, uh, the, the the Manitowoc Hotel has more than ten floors. Oh, really? But that's supposed to be super haunted. Where's too. that? The Manitowoc Hotel that is like downtown by. I'm trying to think where you, you like Pizza Garden is down there now. Mm. Like down from the courthouse, when you go straight from the courthouse north. Okay. It's like the big north. building that's like down, like kind of across from where, like by the river. By the river. There's a big building down by the river. Okay. I don't go to Manitowoc much anymore. No. You used to, we used to work there. Um, in, in the sheriff's department. Yes. So, yeah. But that's more than 10. Like, I don't like skyscrapers. skyscrapers I don't like elevators. Yeah. yeah they and freak me out, researching this did not help either <laughs> of those. <laughs> yeah, probably not. So, there you go. That's kind of what, like, a side session yeah. is like. It's just a little episode about something that I just thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, I thought so, too. I like this one. I did, too. And that's kind of what I want to do. Like, they're going to be, like, super random topics. Okay. Which I think is cool, too, because it's something different. You can learn yeah. a little something. You never know what you're going to expect. No, you never know what you're going to get. Like I said, I got this from Vegas. the Sofa King podcast, who kind of have run out of like paranormal stuff. So now, like I said... We're not going to uh, run out of paranormal stuff. No. Like, what were some of the recent ones I listened to? Uh, I listened to one about Thomas Jefferson, mm. who was kind of a... 
not cool guy. Were you gonna say dick? Kind of. I was gonna say dick. <laughs> He's kind. He kind of was. He was kind, kind of a, a not. He was kind of a not cool guy. Hmm, okay. You know. So that's kind of where I got this idea from. Is just something that I think is interesting. So there'll be the whole coke. Coca-Cola. Probably do the, the Cola Wars. Yeah. Which was, is really interesting when you like start to look into the Cola Wars. You know, and like they did the history of Colonel Sanders and KFC, which mm-hmm. I want to do too because I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. The stuff about the secret herbs and spices and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so one day it might be that. One day it might be like, I love spy stories like from the Cold War. It might be a story about a spy. You know, kind of like you and I in one of our episodes, we talked about that Russian soldier, the commander who saw that we had launched nuclear missiles at them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great story. And he didn't call it in because if he would have he called it in... He thought it was in, an error. He was hoping it was an error. Mm-hmm. But he, he completely went against his training and protocol and he did not call it in because if he did, they would have immediately bombed us with nukes yep. and it would have ended us yeah and it turned out it was that guy error. saved a whole like, bunch that's of the kind lives. of story that i love is yeah. that he was kind of he got punished for that and he's kind of responsible for the fact that we wouldn't be here yeah. if he would have made that call that we started bombing them yeah i love stories so that's like the that. stuff i like so i want to try to incorporate a lot of that but this is what the side sessions are going to be like yeah. so hopefully you got some enjoyment out of it uh making history right here the first episode the first, of the, the side first sessions. side sessions episode nothing paranormal but still just really cool yeah i love it so there you go cool so from krista and i in the strange cellar until next time stay, stay strange, strange.